in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Uh, before we start in 1 Thessalonians, um, just a lead up. Sometimes in our walk with Christ, we try to live off of our prior experiences, our past encounters with Him. These past experiences with Christ can never hold us. They can never keep us. Living off the fumes of prior uh, experiences with Christ. Tonight we're going to look at a man who experienced a few revivals, the Hebrides Revival, the Isle of Lewis Revival in 1949, and the Ray Revival. And a revival is a move of God. It's not a place where they set up tents and hope that something's going to happen, but it's actually a move of God. Like Isaiah the prophet writes, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. And so revival is a move of God. When God comes down and does a work, you know, man stands back and wonders as communities are changed and lives are changed. The Welsh revival, the Azusa Street revival, the Atlantic City revival of 1905. If you were to Google it, you'd see that over 60,000 people were in Atlantic City and they believe that more than just 50 people were not saved. And so it was a move of God. And that's what revival is. And we're praying for that to happen again. We believe that God's going to do it again. That He's going to bring in a harvest. Yet even these great moves of God cannot sustain us. It did not sustain Duncan Campbell who experienced the Hebrides revival. Prior experiences with God will not keep us. Paul was radically saved on the road to Damascus, but it wasn't what sustained him. You know, I saw revival myself at the end of it, uh, the Jesus movement. That's when I was saved myself, but I got to see it. We didn't actually know we were in revival when the thing happened. But it was certainly a revival. God broke through every denominational church as a roaring mighty wind. He came breaking through. The charismatic movement began even in the Catholic Church. I'm not sure the priest even knew what to do with God as he broke through. The hippies were on fire for Jesus in California. Uh, Chuck Smith uh, had to deal with a lot of them. He wasn't that fond of them, but his wife loved them and kind of spoke to him about loving others. You know, that's the message from Jesus. And so because of that, Chuck began to love these hippies. You know, I was actually one of them, believe it or not. I had hair all the way down to my shoulders. And, uh, you know, we skateboarded and all those things back in the end of the 60s. And, uh, you know, we thought we were cool, but there was a move of God is what I'm trying to say. And it didn't keep me. It wasn't the thing that kept me through the years. And prior experiences with God will not keep you. You must have times with Christ now. We must drink from the fountain of life again and again. And let me draw your attention for a moment to John chapter 7. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Sukkoth, the Feast of Booth, celebrating how God preserved the Jews through the wilderness. Then as they were wandering in the wilderness, God provided manna from heaven, right? He preserved their clothes, their sandals never wore out. And he met all their needs. And so now in Jerusalem, Jesus is observing the priests pouring out water from their jugs on the pavement of the Temple Mount, if you can imagine that. Jesus himself standing there in memory of the water that came from the rock at Horeb 
Exodus chapter 17. We know that Jesus is that rock. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So this is what is going on as Jesus observes the priests in Jerusalem. On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would not pour out the water because they now possess the land that God had given them. And so this is when Jesus stands up in John 7, verse 37. He says, the scripture says this, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When he cries out, it is the word kratzo. It's like the cry of a raven. And so Jesus is screaming these things out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his belly will come torrents of living water. He was the great rabbi standing. He stood as the rock who brought forth the water of life, who continues to bring forth the living water, the Holy Spirit. And now, still, he's saying to each one of us who follow him, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. He calls out now to all of us who believe to drink of the Holy Spirit, to be filled again and again. In Ephesians, Paul writes, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The tense is the be ye being filled. In other words, a continuous uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. We can't survive again on our past experiences with God, but we must Be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. Be ye being filled. Yet we try to live off our old experiences with God. Yeah, I remember the Jesus movement. Yeah, I saw it. I saw the thing. I saw what was going on. But it doesn't keep me now. It doesn't draw me to the Lord now. It isn't what will keep you. And it won't keep anyone a prior experience. And so we must spend intimate time with Jesus. And asked to be filled again and again. To drink from the fountain of life. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so we ask. God, fill us again. We see these days that are going on. We want to be bold for you, Lord. We want to be witnesses for you. And so we ask that you would fill us again. And the, all, the Holy Spirit always testifies of Jesus. He always brings glory to Jesus for the glory of Jesus Christ. We see through the book of Acts, who we just finished studying on Sunday, in Acts chapter 4, that they were filled again as the building shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. In Acts chapter 10, filled again. In Acts 13, 9. Acts 13, 52. And Acts 19, again and again, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's impossible to live for Christ apart from the continual filling of the Holy Spirit. 
be ye being filled. And so, are you weary? You know, maybe you're trying to walk this walk with Christ on your own strength. And Jesus is saying, if you're weary, come unto me and drink. Drink of this fountain of life that I have to give you. And so, with all of those things being said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul, a man led by the Spirit of God, even after being beaten with rods and continued his ministry anyway in spite of it, a ministry given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how he was radically saved on the way to the road of uh, Damascus. And what he would later endure. Paul would later say that none of these things move me. He was in Thessalonica for the three Sabbaths, reasoning with them from the Scripture. And this is Luke's account in uh, Acts 17. Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. And if you remember how Paul and Silas, they hung out in jail together in the, in, the church, in the jail of Philippi, right? Remember, they were beaten with rods. They were thrown in jail. They were shackled up together. And uh, in the midst of uh, the, the jail cell that night, they sang praises to God, right? They sang praises to God, and the shackles fell off, and the jail doors were opened. And uh, from that, they, they left, and they, they go to uh, plant this church in uh, Thessalonica. And Paul, spending approximately a month with these uh, believers, he's again chased out by a mob. He goes to Berea, then Athens, then Corinth. He sends Timothy to this church in Thessalonica, then sends Timothy and Silas to see how they're doing. Paul remains in Corinth for approximately a year and a half. It is in Corinth that Silas and Timothy return and give Paul a report on the Thessalonian church. And he says they're strong in the Lord. They are strong in the Lord. Hey, Paul, you know what? These, these believers, they're real. They're strong in Christ. And Paul writes this letter to this fellowship of believers. It wasn't a work of a uh, of, of man, but it was a work of God. In just a month, God had established these believers, and God had built this house. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 127 uh, of Solomon, the Song of Ascents. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so it was the Lord's church that was built, and that gates of hell would not prevail against it. And though the enemy tried, and God is greater. And that's true in our lives, right? The enemy is going to come, but God is greater. John writes, greater is he that's in you than he that's of this world. And Jude writes that he will present you faultless before his very throne, he says, and so no one and nothing can separate you from Christ's love. And it was the love of Christ that compelled or led Paul, even after the beatings and the stonings and the imprisonments and the shipwrecks, that he knew that Jesus loved him. And because of that, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He drank from Jesus often, intimate times with Christ. And he knew that Jesus loved him even when everything was falling apart. And so it must be the love of Christ that compels us. And so the question is, are you convinced of Christ's love for you? Are you convinced of that? Are you willing to live for him no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what we go through? Paul saw the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in this Thessalonian church. How about us? 
Is there evidence of the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And so Paul says, Beloved, loved of God, Paul writes, How Jesus loves you. How your Father in heaven loves you. And so 1 Thessalonians, I'll read uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, now comes to speak, you know, through this letter to these Thessalonians who he spent about a month with. Our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And uh, there was a man I spoke a little bit about him named Duncan Campbell. He saw the Isle of Lewis revival, the refilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, he says this, we are the human agents through which revival is possible. Let me ask this question. Are you in the place where God can trust you with revival? He's sovereign, he's supernatural, but he comes down and in his sovereign purpose and wise economy, he's placed this treasure in earthen vessels. Are you one that he can use? Are you one that he can trust? Are you intimate in intimate fellowship with God? And these are the words that Duncan Campbell had written. Duncan Campbell had seen revival, had seen God do mighty works. He had experienced God coming down at the Bernaray revival, the Isle of Lewis. Yet even experiencing that, he began to settle in his own routine. You know, he was doing church. You ever been there? You know, we go to church this time and that time and we got everything down to a routine. And we, uh, you know, when I was little, we used to go to you know, the Catholic Church, and we stood up and sat down and did all those things and kneeling and all that. I never had a relationship with Christ, but we can do church. And we can even do that in the evangelical church as well. We can do church, but not have intimacy with Christ. And in the midst of Duncan Campbell, there was no longer an experience, revival in his heart. He began to settle in. He became an evangelistic minister, a convention speaker. But he was doing, you know, godly things. He was confronted by his daughter at one point, and God does that sometimes. You know, if you may not be walking in the way that you say you're walking, you say you're a Christian, you say you follow Christ, but yet you're doing something else, you know, God sometimes will send somebody to you (laughs) and let you know, hey, you know, you said you're a Christian, but you're over here you know, pounding down drinks, you know. You said you're this. And yet God will send someone to confront you with that very thing. And that's what he did with Duncan Campbell. He did it with his daughter. She put her arms around my neck, Campbell says. I can still see the tears streaming from her eyes as she said, Daddy, when you were a pilgrim in the faith mission, 
after the First World War. You saw revival in Scotland. You saw revival, Daddy. How is it that God is not using you in revival today? Tell me, Daddy, when did you last lead a soul to Christ? Do you remember when you were on fire for Christ? Is there a time when you can look back where you, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't stop speaking about Jesus? Like Jeremiah, that, the, you know, God was set up in your heart, but you couldn't help but release the, the things that Christ had done in your life. And maybe that's not you now. And that's what happened to Duncan Campbell. And that can happen to us. You know, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, God remembers us. He remembers that time he had with intimacy with us. You know, it says in uh, Jeremiah, God remembers. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. You know, when we gave ourselves to him, when you went after me in the wilderness, God remembers when we were on fire for him. Known sin in our lives will keep us from the fullness of God. We'll grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, you may not have grace or love for someone. You know, the, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Love. You know? And sometimes we could be so judgmental. Sometimes we could be the ones that are the first to, uh, you know, pronounce guilty to the one that we see. You know, the Bible's calling us to be tender-hearted and to be loving others, you know. So Campbell went to his study, you know. He has went into repentance. God used his daughter. I'm going to seek a meeting with God, is what Campbell had said. And he went to his study. I shut the door, he says. I put the rug on the floor in front of the fire, and I lay on the rug. And I cannot take time to tell you all that God said to me in that hour. I'm thankful to say that he spoke to me the word of pardon and the word of forgiveness and the word of recommission. And I cried, God, won't you give me again what you gave me on the battlefield? And listen, friends, God did it. He filled him again with the Holy Spirit. As Campbell repented of what he had become, lukewarm. And so have you ever been there? And I can tell you that I have. Become a lukewarm Christian. No longer wanting to speak about Jesus wherever I went in fear that I might offend someone or be offended or have one speak things to me. But there was a time when I was in work in a place that was ungodly and they used to call us the God Squad because we used to speak of Jesus wherever we went. And Campbell, as he repented in true repentance, there was a change in his behavior and God filled him again. And... Uh, a professor in Edinburgh met me sometime afterward, Campbell says. Of course, it was known abroad that something had happened to Campbell. Of course, something did happen to him. I, he was set free, glorious freedom. This professor said to me, now tell me, Mr. Campbell, tell, they tell me that you had a wonderful experience in your study. And yes, I said, God came to me. What difference did it make in your life? The professor said, well, I think, Professor, that the difference must be obvious to you from what has already happened, I said. I went out to preach the same sermons that I'd been preaching for 17 years. I went out to preach the same sermons with the difference that I now saw hundreds converted. Hundreds brought savingly to Christ because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And Campbell said to go through with God. And if God in his mercy has been pleased to use me in some small measure since that hour, I can trace it back to that moment when my daughter said to me, whatever it costs, Daddy, go through with God. And I say to you, brother, whatever it costs, whatever it costs, go through with God. And so he had a spirit of repentance, marked the life of Duncan Campbell. How easily God broke him through a mere sentence from the lips of his teenage daughter. His attitudes and actions and motives as sin in light of the dazzling white righteousness of Jesus Christ. What will it take for us to humble ourselves before God? Be willing to humble yourself and to go to any lengths to set things right before God and your brother. God will meet you as he met with Duncan Campbell. He'll take your failures and wash them in Christ's precious blood, then use them to build a fresh message of his grace through your life to others. Duncan Campbell saw revival. He experienced it. Yet after it, he settled in his own routine. He was a minister, but no longer seeking God's leading. He had his own schedule doing godly things, but without the Spirit of God. You know, there was a missionary that came over from China once, and, uh, you know, he walked around for about a week and then uh, got back on the boat and went back and uh, they asked him for the report of what he had saw in America. And he said, it's amazing what the Americans can do apart from God. And so sin had crept in. And sometimes we believe that God's okay with that. And it's sad to say that quite common in the church today. And so Campbell had quenched the Spirit of God. He had grieved the Spirit of God. And God was no longer using him. Like King Saul, the anointing had gone. And we can be like that. Even doing godly things. I've been there, I know. Our own routine. Our no longer seeking God. No longer repenting from our sin. No longer the intimacy with God. And so we've forgotten, like uh, John writes in Revelation, our first love. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit and we can quench the work of the Holy Spirit and we can miss God's very best for our lives. But listen, it doesn't have to be that way. We can bear our hearts before the Lord. We can ask Him to search our hearts like David writes. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead us in the way everlasting. So God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of restoration. It requires humility and repentance. And God will use us if we're willing to bear our hearts to him. The Bible says, will you not rend your heart before me? He'll wash us and cleanse us with the blood of his son if we're willing to go through with God like Campbell had done himself. And so a message filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, not just in word, but in power in the Holy Spirit, a gospel overflowing with the Spirit of God. He says our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. So Paul's Message was in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and with power. It wasn't in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. And he writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The Bible says that we should continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians five eighteen. That's what the tense says. Be ye being filled. Jesus said, the words I speak, they are spirit and life. It is the spirit who gives life. The fresh, 
The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And so Paul had that anointing of God. God will also place that anointing on us if we're willing to humble ourselves before him, willing to be honest before him. You know, he's a loving father. He's good. His mercies endure forever. Again, Paul says, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Again, he came to them after being beaten at Philippi. If you can imagine that, they saw a man in physical weakness, a small man, right? He had some infirmities. But he's like a spectacle standing before them, you know, still has bruises on him from the beating that he took and uh, had taken. And uh, he, he didn't speak to them with eloquence of speech, he says. He's infirmed in the flesh, but yet he brings forth a word that comes in power. They became followers following Christ. And so Christ is our first love where he wants to take us with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, one day we're going to be with him. No more tears or pain or suffering. No more death. The former things will pass away. And that's what we long for, to hear one day the voice that says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so we want to hear those words. We want to be good and faithful servants. These Thessalonians, many became faithful followers of Christ. In verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. They were examples, right? Topos of, of men worthy of imitation. They were imitators of Christ. And Paul writes in Ephesians about that. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Be an imitator of Christ. You know, help us to be like you, Lord. These followers were examples to all in Macedonia, the northern region of Greece and Achaia and the southern and the western uh, parts of Greece. They become an example of a work of God. And then the scripture goes on to say, but also in every place, they were witnesses. They were an example. They had influence because of their walk with Christ. You know, we can have great influence as we walk with Christ. I can remember where I worked, uh, you know, people would curse all the time. Then when they got in the elevator, when one of us or two of us might have been on the elevator, they stopped and they said, oh, I'm sorry for what we said. And so you can have a great influence wherever you go. You know, we are ambassadors for Christ, right? When we walk through this world that we represent him well. People will see our good works and glorify the Father, right? They'll see our lives. It'll draw them to Christ. And, you know, Father, help us to be like the Lord Jesus. You know, after only six months, these believers had a profound effect. Uh, the scripture goes on to say, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we don't need to say anything. And so the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we don't need again to say anything. Wow. You have no idea how far your example can reach. You know, people, you know, they may listen to what you say, but they're going to look at your life. You know, they're going to look at how you live. And again, we're ambassadors for Jesus. 
Ask the Lord that he would help me to be a better example for him. Paul says your faith's gone out. They have seen your lives most likely radically changed, right? You know, Christ doesn't let you leave people the same. He comes into a life and he, and he takes and he changes that life. You know, like the lame man. You remember the lame man called, by the gate called Beautiful that Peter and John saw him by the gate? He was there for years by the gate and they saw him and the, the man asked for them for alms, right? If you remember the story. And Peter says to him, uh, you know, silver and gold, we don't have but what I've been given. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And so there was a lame man now who was now walking. And so what happened? There was a miracle done in his life. I was a drug dealer back in the 80s, and God delivered me from that. It was a work that God did in my life. He changed me, and he healed me, and he delivered me. And he's done that work in your lives. God's not a respecter of persons, and he'll change you. And he'll use you for his glory if you'll yield your life to him. He'll do that work. He's not a respecter of persons. Your faith has gone out, Paul says. They have seen your lives, your example, so that we don't have to say anything. We don't need to say anything. The difference between, you know, the difference between a big dog and a little dog. You know, when you see them out on the street, the little dog's always barking and yapping and trying to get at the person, right? The big dog just sits there. The big dog doesn't have to say anything, does he? The big dog, you know, by looking at him, that he (laughs) could be trouble, right? He doesn't have to bark. He doesn't have to carry on. In the case of my son, his dog is a female and she doesn't have to carry on. Her name's Nyla and she's a pit bull. She's all muscle. She's strong and she'll just sit there. Listen, we know many Christians who can say, you know, I do this for the Lord. I do that. I have this ministry. Maybe they have the loudest amens. You don't know if you've ever been around that. You know, they want to stick their hands up the highest and say they worship God, but there's not much evidence that they had been with Jesus, right? So Paul is saying, no, your faith toward God has gone out. They have seen your lives and your example, and we don't need to say anything. Verse 9, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Back in Acts 17, the, the recording of how this church began gives us the account of Paul in Athens in Greece. And I'll just read you a few verses there, if you'll bear with me. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, Acts 17, 16, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. He gives his witness of Jesus Christ. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? And maybe you're saying that about me tonight. What is this babbler trying to say? But you can imagine them saying that about Paul. You know, Paul had his things together. He was intimate with Jesus Christ. They said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. What's this new doctrine you're teaching, they said. You're bringing strange things to us. They were always looking for some new thing. You ever meet people like that they're always looking for that new thing even in the uh, in the church they're looking for that new thing maybe it's the holy laughter maybe it's the rolling around whatever you know but it's the word of god that changes lives 
And as it goes forth, it can sanctify. And it has the power to transform lives. And Paul stands up now. He's given this opportunity to speak. They bring him to the Areacobus. And it's a martial peak. It is Mars Hill, a great rock formation within the people seated. And the speaker below at an amphitheater speaking up. Criminals were tried there. They wanted to hear this new doctrine, Paul given this great platform to speak, so he speaks. He stands and speaks, and the Greek worshiped many gods, the God of love, right? The God of hate, the God of fear, the God of peace, the God of joy. They had all kinds of different gods that they worshiped, but they even had an altar to the unknown God in case they, you know, maybe missed one. And Paul stands up and speaks about that one, the unknown God. Therefore, he says, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, the unknown God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he was appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he's ordained. He's given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite a woman named Damaris and others with them. And so some believed and turned from their idols and some did not. Not all will come. Jesus in Matthew 7 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it, many on the road to destruction. These Thessalonian Greeks had turned from their idols and turned to the living God. They had turned to Christ. And that's why Paul says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Our work is to release the gospel. Some will leave their idols. Others will not. You know, we go out on the homeless outreach every month. You know, we... We uh, release the gospel. You know, it's like a hand grenade going out. <laughs> the gospel comes out. You know, there's always a response. Whether they either say yay and amen and receive it, or they, you know, they, they get angry because they're hearing about their sin and their need for a Savior. But it isn't our job to convince them. It's our job just to release the message, the gospel. Some will come. Others will refuse. They will reject Christ. They rejected Christ himself when he released the message. They rejected Paul. They called him a babbler. But God knows that there's power in the gospel, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God on the salvation. There is power in the word of God. The Bible says lights come into the world, but men love darkness. Many will not come to Christ because they want to remain in their sin. John 3, this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
Many will refuse because they love their sin. They love darkness. Their deeds are evil. They don't want to remain. They don't want to come to Christ. They don't want that light shining in, you know, into their faces. I remember when I used to be a drunken fool and I'd come out of this club in the morning and the sun would hit my eyes and it was like blaring in my face. And I still remember that, you know, God's grace in the midst. Even back then, there was a clock. I remember in the one bar that said, uh, beware for I come like a thief in the night. You know, God can speak right through your drunkenness. There have been people on heroin get saved, you know. God's got power, man. You know, you, <laughs> all you got to do is be faithful to release, release it, you know. And, and the power of the Holy Spirit and people's lives are going to be radically changed. And, and I experienced that myself. You know, the Bible says that it's as, as, as if God is pleading through us for others to be reconciled unto him. It's as if God is begging through us for the people to be reconciled unto him. He's saying that he loves them, that he died for them, that he wanted to be living with them forever. He wants them to come to heaven, but they refuse. They want to hold on to their sins and they want to be bound in the very darkness that they're in. There are many idols on this earth, you know, money and fame and power. I used to have a a lot of them. I had Armani suits and the BMW and the, you know, the drugs and the alcohol and all that stuff. Prestige, you know, I had a big title. You know, there's sex, there's sensuality, there's pornography. There's all kinds of idols on this earth. Drunkenness and drugs. There's even a thing called humanism. The happiness of man. The end of all mankind is man's happiness. You know, God's created for us. He's created in our image. And basically, God will put up with whatever I feel like doing so that I'm happy. And not only can I do whatever I want to do, but at the end of all of it, I get to go to heaven. And be with one I never wanted to follow or hear from. Why would that ever happen, you know? God looks at our lives. And uh, we're not going to be here that long. You know, I'm up in my 60s now, so you figure that part out that most of my life is gone. And a great part of it I wasted. And if you're young, I want to encourage you to live for Christ. The encouragement I have is that Moses didn't start until he was 80. <laughs> so, you know, the end of all being is the happiness of man sold out to the world and all it has to offer. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And sadly, listen, many Christians have become part of this world. It's quite sad. The end of all being is not to the happiness of man. The end of all being is to the glory of God. We're created in His image and we're created for His glory and we're created for His purposes. Those are all scriptures from Genesis and Isaiah and from Revelation. They may have been on fire once, but now they have settled in like Duncan Campbell. And they are in their routines, no longer seeking God's will. Not much time with Jesus. You know, like Demas, you remember how Paul wrote about Demas? Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. And so Paul says that Demas, one who said he was a follower, forsook me and went after the world. There's a great part of the church is going after the world. They're even doing that hokey pokey thing. You know, they got part of the world and part of God and part of the world. You know, they're one foot in and one foot out. And, and Christ is saying that, you know, I gave my life for you, that you would live for me. And I love you. And my love for you is everlasting. And I'm asking that you would be 
willing to yield your life for me. Yeah, that's the calling of a Christian. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, I beg you by the mercies of God that you would present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service. Everything else is unreasonable. As we close this evening, we must stay connected to Christ. He's the vine, we're the branches. I can remember out at the farm for the Atlantic City Rescue Mission, they asked me to do a Bible study, and we brought some children out there. Actually, Gina was part of that, and the kids came out, and I was walking around on the farm myself, and I've told this story probably before, but I had a plan of what I was going to talk to the kids about, of having a heart towards God and wanting to serve God, and you know how God had great plans for you. And uh, But God just spoke to my heart while I'm walking around in the, in the farm, and he said, you know, I want you to look at these pumpkins, you know. I want you to look at the ones that are not doing well. They're not connected to the vine, right? But the ones that were thriving, they were the ones that were connected to the vine. They were bearing much fruit. And so the message in that is that we must stay connected to Him. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And so is there something of this world that's drawing you away from Jesus? And that's an easy question to answer if you just look at your schedule all day long, where you spend your time. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Living in known sin will grieve the Holy Spirit. It will quench His work in your life. You may still do religious works. You know, there's a lot of religious people out there. You know, the Muslims are out serving food and everything. Jehovah's Witness is knocking on the door trying to witness a false gospel. You know, there's a lot of religious people out there. There are thousands of religions. You may do religious works, but it will be without the Holy Spirit and without the anointing. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And uh, we can come short of that. You know, I come short of that. You know, sometimes I'll give my wife a short answer, right? (laughs) And then I expect the Holy Spirit to be with me, right? And the Holy Spirit is saying to me, hey, listen, I'm over there comforting your wife that you gave a short answer to because you were short with her. I'll be over there if you need me. And so we're so quick to be angry or to be upset or to be offended. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit is being grieved in the midst of that because we're not loving others. Specifically, the one that God joined me with, that we would love them. Duncan Campbell repented in humility. He turned from those things and God forgave him. And we can do that. The anointing of God can be upon us. The hand of God can be upon us as we walk in His ways and His favors. You know, so we should humble ourselves and be honest before God. If we're living in known sin, we need to bring that into the light. And let the blood of Christ cleanse us. You know, like the psalmist we read, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way. You know, many times we don't even want to say that because we know there are things that are hidden in there that we don't even want God to see. Like God doesn't see it already. Open up your heart before Him. Be honest before Him. Show me, Lord, what needs to change in my life. The things that grieve you. I'm sorry, Lord. Help me to change. Remember, Mr. Campbell? I cannot take time to tell you all that God said to me in that hour. I'm thankful to say that he spoke to me the word of pardon, the word of forgiveness, and the word of recommission. Don't you want God's best for you, his blessings in your life, to be fully pleasing to him, 
to walk in his anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit for his glory. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. Paul said, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God. And so search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. And lead me in the way that is everlasting. Do you remember where we opened tonight? Jesus crying out, the Feast of Tabernacles. If any one thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Same Jesus who cried those things out at the Feast of Tabernacles is calling out to each one of us now. And he is saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink of the fountain of life. He who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. Do you thirst? Do you thirst? Ask the Father to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit. Ask. Ask. Will you stand with me as I pray?